You know, one of my favorite Bible verse among there are so many, but one of the favorite that kind of captures and captivates who he really is, that contains this, everything that you uh, uh, can think of as to who our Christ is, because you put it all in one place. I love Psalm 19.1. It says, the heavens declare the glory of God. Heaven that is above the skies, way up there, the whole thing, the universe declares the glory of God. And the skies that's above us proclaim the work of his hands. Everything that happens under the sky is a work of his hands. Good things are definitely work of his hands. Some of the challenges we face in each and every day, ultimately it will be the work of his hands. That Bible verse just gives me that confidence that he is in control. Someone, someone who says the heavens declare the glory of God. He is in control, guys. He's uh, omnipotent, meaning he's all-powerful. He's omnipresent. That means he's everywhere. He is at the church. He's outside. The universe under the sky is in your heart. It translates to me when I read this Bible verse that he is all about victory. That started from the beginning of the time. And whatever he will do through us, he is going to finish it. When the tough time comes, when trouble comes, times come, that's just a, a way for him to give you a little attention so that you can come closer and closer to make your purpose realized. The other verse that I really like that summarizes all about this grace that we've been talking about is this. He has, 2 Timothy, He has saved us. Well, you know what that means. Salvation, if you come before the Lord, is you are my Savior. What it means is that you are saved. You have received, what I like to say, a ticket to the heaven. The greatest gift of all. And called us to holy life. You see, it doesn't stop at saved. Then it says, called us to a holy life. We'll get into that. Not because of anything we have done, but because of his own purpose and grace. And that this grace was given to us through Jesus Christ before the beginning of time. Now there are two points in here. This is all prelude to the the topic of today that we're going to be discussing, the prelude, two points. One, he saved us. That is what we call the amazing grace that we sing of. It's amazing grace that we try to evangelize, we try to reach out. The amazing grace, that is why we stand before God, that we're able to. And the second point is this. 
There's next step. He called us to holy life. What is the holy life that he called us to? That's growing in grace. What else could it be? There are no other explanation. I saved you. Now it's your part. Do something. I'm in calling you to a holy life. This amazing grace, yes, it was given to us at the beginning of the time. How is it that he was able to give us this amazing grace from the beginning of the time? Not when I was saved. Well, because grace is our Lord Jesus Christ. He was there from the beginning of the time as Christ Jesus is our God. Only problem was that until we were saved, we just did not recognize him. That is why he came to us. That's why God gave birth to his son. He came to us flesh human being to be able to relate to us and take away the things that don't belong to us, the sins. Three days ago, we commemorated the D-Day. That is just hardly can't imagine that our forefathers, actually not too long ago, maybe your grandparents, actually lived through that. June 6th, looking back, it was a very, very costly victory. Over 200,000 casualties among allies. Can you imagine 200,000 casualties on that day? In Normandy, the beach of Normandy in France. It was a truly a victory for the free world at amazing cost. What happened from that point? The freedom prevailed. The world has grown in freedom. It took a costly victory. Jesus, it was a costly victory. He lost his life. And many people who were associated with him also lost their lives. Since then, so many, many people were persecuted because of his name. But his battle, his battles were victory for us all. And his influence has been growing to this date. Our church, it's a continuing event of victories. It's time, it's costly victory. Times we struggle with the finance, direction, and sometimes we struggle with leadership. 
We struggle with the lost friends and congregations. It's a continuing event of victory because whenever we lack direction, we look upon that amazing grace that was given us for a purpose. And so therefore, we focus on him to proclaim again and again the work of his hands. The church grows, you know, when we grow in grace. There's no other way around it. The church will grow when we grow in grace. My life, it was a costly victory. After a million dollars in hospital and doctor fee, I lost my heart. No, no, no. I lost my physical heart. <laughs> Faced series of battles of all mankind, of my own kinds. But those battles at the end proclaimed the work of his hands. Yet I continued to climb, continued to grow, but at the same time continued to fall. That's who we are. We accelerate, we'll put a little break. Sometimes we go back. Then we move on again. But we continue to march on because of a limited, infinite grace that we have received. And when you continue in the midst of setback, I have grown in grace. And when I grow in grace, you grow in grace. What about your life? Well, that's for you to fill out. That's for you to answer as we continue this topic of growing in grace. Now, everyone wants to grow, right? Not everybody wants to grow old, but we want to grow. We want to grow. Kids wants to grow taller. I like it. Some kids want to grow older too, but they want to grow taller. Some guys hope to grow more hairs. Some people want to grow more in their talents. At the end of the day, what matters to people around you, to, to God, is not the physical, earthly things, but it's a spiritual maturity. You may want to grow more hair. You may want to grow with more uh, talent. You may want to grow with more education. But if we really, really think about it, people around you, that's not what they want to see you in you. Maybe your parents or something like that. But what people really want around you, they want to see you grow spiritually and grow maturity grow in character. Because when you grow in maturity and in character, you gain everything. You can get knowledge. You can get friends. You can get everything. So we all want to grow. I still want to grow. I want to know more about Jesus' insight. What I know, it's just this much. There's just so much. There's so much about 
inside of a Christ that's not just visible that is in the Bible, that are invisible, that comes with wisdom. I want to grow in desiring him more. I want to experience him more. So how can we gain more insights and desires and experience him more and more and more? What must we do? Here is the thing. The type of doing that God desires is not simply physical activities. The type of doing God desires is not simply physical activities. It's not about programs. It's not just about coming to church and, and organizing, cleaning, and attending physically to all the activities and events. The type of doing God desires us is to dwell in Him. When you dwell in Him, you know, that is actually doing something. Did you know that? You cannot dwell in Him just going like this. You have to be engaged in dwelling with our Christ and what He represents. Dwelling in Him is doing. So before we go any further, let's review for those people who came in here the first time, our series on growing in grace, how it all started. Second Peter 3.18 says, but grow in grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. That's our mission. Our lives should be all around, hinged around growing in grace. It's not about I am saved. I am done. I do whatever I want to do. Okay, I know I have to go to church, maybe some Bible study here and there. Is that growing in grace? You answer that. I don't need to tell you that. Are you growing? Are you maturing in grace? So you are saved. If you look at the chart that we've been studying, this is our, our essence of our series. Once you're saved, that's not the end of salvation. That's when the theological term sanctification comes in, which is growing in grace. That means becoming better and better in what you do. Once you're saved, that's like you were born into this new spiritual world. You may be 50 years old, 70 years old. When you are saved, you are baby in spirit. And from there, you grow in grace. The grace that was given to you when you were saved, use that to grow into a, becoming a child, then to teenager, to adolescent, and so-called grown-ups. But you say, well, we fall all the time. Yes, of course we fall. That's why God gave us four seasons, I guess. 
Spring is like giving up birth, and summer is being a teenager, full a blossom of trees and with the leaves, and fall is a victory in bearing some fruits. But then we thought we made it. Then the winter comes, and we like get naked, and we lose everything, and you have to start all over again. But it doesn't discourage us because we know another spring will come. When we face challenge, you should be in the same situation. You know the grace, not just around the corner, grace is there. That we are rooted in the grace. You'll come back. And true growth is going through the birth and losing everything. The birth Bearing fruits and losing everything. Year after year after year, when you go through that, you grow in grace, and you can see from that picture, that's how a tree grows handsomely, gracefully. Their trunk gets to be bigger and bigger, stronger and stronger, and withstand any kind of uh, wind. Last week, we addressed, as a reminder, I want to say it again, how to grow in grace by not doing something. Okay. So there is way, today we're going to talk about how we, are going to, we need to do something. But last week, we talked about how we can grow in grace by not doing something. I mean, people loved it. You should have been here, yes, last week. They're going to do anything. And we read Colossians 3.8. But now you must rid yourself, rid of yourself of all such things as these, anger, rage, malice, slanders, and filthy language from your lip. Do not lie to each other. Don't do this. Then you'll grow in grace. And I love this a prayer by a little kid. I think it's a little kid. Maybe it's an adult. Dear God. So far today, God, I've done all right. I've been good. I haven't gossiped. I haven't lost my temper. <clears throat> haven't been grumpy, greedy, nasty, selfish, or even indulgent. I am really, really glad about that. And the prayer continues. But in few minutes, in few minutes, God, I am going to get out of bed. And from that on, I'm going to need a lot of help. Amen. Amen. We are capable. We are fully capable of doing nothing and growing grace. But just that when we wake up, we enter right into winter. We get naked. We lose everything. Today we're going to talk about how to do something. But to be fair, week before that... <clears throat> We said that we can grow in grace when we fall. Three weeks ago, Pastor Ben gave a wonderful message on how to grow in grace. By what? By stepping up. Pull yourself together, guy. Step out of it. Believe in the saving power of grace and rise again and get up, climb back up by stepping up. Today, it's kind of similar, 
but we'll address how to grow in grace by doing something and what it means to do something. Here's the big idea, which I already mentioned in this long prelude. Here's the big idea about doing something. In God's perspective, you, have, you always have to know God's perspective, not your perspective. When you're confronting with somebody, it's all about that person's perspective, not your perspective. If you keep insisting your perspective, the argument will intensify. You've got to look at God's perspective. The big idea is, in God's perspective, is that we cannot do anything for God. He doesn't really care whether you come to church or not. Be careful how you relate that to uh, your internet, to your friends. You've got to see in the context. Coming to church is just physical activities. You cannot do anything for God. Because God is almighty, omnipotent, omnipresent. He's almighty. He is so powerful that he needs something, he can get it done. He may not need you. He may not need us. The big idea is that we can't really do anything for God. We cannot think that if we do something for God, then perhaps we might grow in grace. No. The only thing that God expects us as a background is, number one, he wants us to return home. That's what God wants. You think you can do something for him? He already gave you uh, 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 grace, saving grace. You don't have to do anything to receive that. You did. So all he wants to do is for us to come home, come back to him, go back to him. And the second thing that he commanded us is, oh, along the way, when you're coming back home, along the way, make sure to love your neighbors as yourself. That's the only thing God wants from us. That's pretty easy, right? First part, we don't really have to do anything. Second part, you kind of have to extend yourself with God's love. In other words, do not think that you could do something for God. The only way to do something and grow in grace is to dwell in Christ. Dwell in Christ. Because dwelling in Christ is Doing something big. So let's look at today's scripture. That's what we're going to study. Next five minutes. It's important, the scripture. It was so important that you need all this prelude to understand this. Colossians chapter 3, 16 through 17. Let's read this very slowly and carefully. Let the message of Christ Dwell, dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish. That's to correct and that's to rebuke one another. How? With all wisdom through what? Psalms, hymns, and songs from the where spirit. Singing to God with what? Gratitude in your hearts. 
And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Well, let's unfold this a little bit. So what are the key words that's contained in the scripture about doing? Well, first, it's clearly, it's do well. Do well. Whatever we do, whether it's teaching, rebuking, criticizing, it must do with his presence. When you dwell in him, that's when you experience him, you desire him, and you begin to have the discernment to know what Jesus would do. You can't really know what Jesus would do if we don't really dwell in him. It's just not going to come to us. Only when you are dwelling in Christ, you will know what needs to be done. When you dwell in him, that's when you seek him, that's when you honor him. And one of the good indicators, you can ask yourself, if whether you are dwelling in him or not, is just to see when you're faced with a challenge, ask to yourself if you're thinking of others. Because that's exactly what Jesus did. Until his last breath, it was all about thinking of us that granted us that grace. And that is why this is God's greatest command for believers. In the hospital, some years ago, I was shocked that I had to go through that type of surgery. That God would put me in that predicament of heart transplant surgery, I resented him. I didn't like him. Forget about dwelling in him. I was so fast moving out of his presence. How could he do this to me? There was no room in my heart to dwell in him when I was faced with something I really felt that I did not deserve. At that time, I was vulnerable, meaning that I could have easily ended up in depression, resentment, and denial. Thank God I didn't fall into any of those. Amen. It only took two weeks. I'm sure it was a long time for Janice, my wife, to see me in two weeks in that state, in that resentful mode, upset more. Why, why, why? Two weeks. I realized that he was calling me to do something. And I said to myself, I'm in the hospital. I got like eight to ten wires going through my neck to my heart. I cannot do anything. I can't even get up. I can't do anything. 
how can you tell me, God, to do something? There's no way I can do something at that time. You see, I was relating, doing something with the physical activities. That's all we know. Especially young people. Let's do something. Oh, they think it's going playing balls and doing something. Right? Young people over there. That's what I thought. But the call was, do something, son. Dwell in me. What he was really trying to do was, I want to connect with you. I'm giving you this attention, son. Well, yeah, but you can give me attention, but it doesn't have to strike my physical heart. That I would lay in the hospital for six months for heart transplant. I guess he really, really wanted my attention. So after two weeks, I opened the hospital room. The curtain that hides me, my bed, to the rest of the hospital uh, lobby and people, I totally opened. I told nurse, never close it. Keep it wide open. Because I wanted the spirit, the openness of spirit to, to come over me all the time. And that was doing. So I stepped up. Pastor Ben, I stepped up. Two weeks later, to dwell in him. At that time, I knew something was happening in me. I was actually growing in grace. And then God, when I was slowly growing, growing in grace, he engraved in my heart to live for others. Do everything in the spirit of loving others and to sacrifice. That's what the greatest commandment says so. To love your neighbor as yourself, which means to sacrifice. Second key word in this scripture is wisdom. This wisdom is not of ours. This is the wisdom of God. It's the wisdom of Jesus. The entire book of Proverbs is about what would Jesus do kind of wisdom. Entire Proverbs is what would Jesus do kind of Proverbs. It's not simply good saying or idioms. You cannot compare the book of Proverbs that is in our Bible with that of a secular wisdom, Proverbs, so-called English Proverbs, Italian Proverbs, Chinese Proverbs, American Proverbs. In those Proverbs, Christ does not dwell in them. It's just people's experience. Young people, when you want to be mentored by somebody, just because that person is so good in what they do and you want to be like him, instead of just seeking that type of person to mentor you, be mentored by somebody who dwells in Christ even though there's a lot of imperfection in that person, because he or she will guide you the right way. And God will use that type of person, that type of person, in mightily to taking you to the direction that you and God desire to go. And where does this wisdom dwell? According to the Bible, According to scripture today, 
you want to get the wisdom? It's in the Psalms. It's in the hymn. It's in the songs of Holy Spirit. It's in the Proverbs. That's what it is. It's not where how the book shows, tells you. That's the secular world stuff. Third key word in our scripture today is gratitude. It simply means having a thankful heart, thankful attitude. And when you do, when you do with a thankful heart of thankfulness, boy, do you become attractive. You know, you don't need makeup. You don't need makeup to look attractive. If you have a gratitude, the thankful gratitude, boy, do they shine much, much more than any type of makeup you can put on. I hear that <clears throat> makeups are very expensive. Extremely expensive. I figure you can buy some makeup, a little tiny one like this for like 10, 20 bucks. I see they're laughing. I found out they're minimum 50 to 80 bucks. I was shocked. Why would they want to put this expensive stuff and they wash it the night before and do it again? But if you have a thankful heart, boy, you will be attractive. I guarantee you that. I guarantee you that. People are attracted to thankful people. They are. Thankful people, you know what they do when they have setback? Instead of blaming on someone, they apply the wisdom of God. They dwell in God. And say, I am thankful, God, for giving me this challenge. Yeah, I'm a little bit uptight, but I am really happy that I have your attention now. Or I'm so happy that you're giving me attention through this challenge because now I'm getting closer and closer to you. Janice, where's Janice, my wife? She's teaching somebody out there. But you know, she tells this story over and over and over again. You know what that story is? You never heard this before. I have heard many, many times. She tells me this story. When we come to the Bible study, we talk about disciplining a child. What does the Bible say in the Proverbs? What would Jesus do? He says, smack them, right? That's exactly what it says. Discipline with a rod. And she said, uh, I don't know about that. I said, well, it's in the Bible, okay? If you do with a thankful heart, <laughs> it's okay. It's not a hitting, it's spanking. There's a huge difference between spanking and hitting. Spanking, you do with a control with your emotion controlled. Hitting, you never know. So you got to be careful on that one. So she said, well. So when she was uh, younger, his, her father has a unique way of disciplining them. His father's style is he only disciplined the kids once a year. That would be nice, right? But he has this amazing 
amazing uh, memory of, of maybe he writes down, I have no idea. And, and he writes, and, and once a year he'll get all uh, her, uh, herself and the three brothers. And he would say, you, first son, you did this, you did this, you did this. Bad boy. Second son, you did this, you did this, you did this. Bad boy. Third son, you did this, you did this. Bad boy. I don't know what he did to Janice. And then the father will go, first son, because you're a first son, And then without finishing his sentence, he slaps the first son right on the face. And Janice said, she was so angry. How can you, how can you slap my brother? But in those days, how dare you protest your parents? So after that, she would sneak into his room and said, weren't you upset when our father slapped your face that hard? And she was so shocked, his brother's response, I love his attention. He loves me. He shows his love by slapping on my face. She said she learned something. Thankful people are always growing in grace. They acquire new sense of purpose. They acquire perseverance. And when they do, it leads them to new friends in Christ. They are a blessing to so many people around them. Now, that's doing. Having grateful heart is doing something for God. The last key word in the scripture in doing something so that we can grow in Christ is the word name. Precisely the phrase is name of the Lord Jesus. What it means is do not do anything to make name for yourselves. Do not engage in activities to make name for yourself. Do not try to get a high-end degree so you can eventually you can make name for yourself. Don't try to run the race so you can win and so you can make name for yourself. God does not seem to really like that. But if you glorify him, I will put you on a high platform. That's the promise from God. Do you know why every time we pray, we end prayer by saying, in the name of Jesus? Do you know why? Why? Well, Scripture says so. Say it. The Scripture says right there. <laughs> Do it in the name of the Lord Jesus. What was that? S in his name. We are required to do so. When I attend some of the business association, now the 
our country, you know, political, whatever, so we don't even pray anymore. Say 10, 15, 20 years ago, you go to engineering association or architectural association, you get other different huge organizations. When you go there, young people may not know this, and I know some of the older, mature people know this. When you go to those associations and in, in the galas or whatever, they actually pray. You know that? 10, 15 years ago, I was asked to pray quite a bit because I guess I went through all this heart transplant. They felt that I have something and maybe a little closer to God. And, hey, Tim, can you come and pray? So I've been praying. And as time went by, some of them would come and say, Tim, uh, can you pray for our meal at our conference? Yeah, sure. Oh, by the way, can you do us a favor and by praying a sort of like secular prayer, like, you know, like general prayer? I know exactly what the person is talking about. He's probably being approached by others, like, make sure it's like general prayer. Without Jesus' name in it, right? So what do you do? Do you say no? Or do you say yes? Well, God gave us creativity, you know. Artists know any way they can do to present it differently. So I say, yes, I will do it. But this is what I said to him. I will pray in a general prayer, but I will also personalize my prayer. Is that okay? Now, that person has no idea what I'm talking about. But because that person asked me, they said, okay, they can't trust me. It's okay. Okay, that's fine. They probably didn't know what I was talking about. But he said, fine. So I got his permission. So this is why I pray. This is how I, I personalize the ending of the prayer. I would finish my prayer at the end by saying this. We pray in the name of our God who created heavens and earth. That's inclusive of all religion, right? Pretty much so. I pray, we pray in the name of our God who created heavens and earth. Then I personalize. And for me, Personally, I really emphasize personally in the name of someone who changed my life, Jesus Christ. Amen. That's how I pray. And I hope you can do the same thing. You address their needs. If they wanna, don't want to hear the, word, the name of Jesus, pray that prayer. I pray, we pray this in the name of our God who created heavens and earth and for me personally. The one who changed my life, Christ Jesus, amen. Nobody argued with that. I personalized it. But it relates to everybody present. Actually, I was not that creative. This prayer was given by Pastor Rick Warren. Ten some years ago when he prayed for uh, the President uh, Obama's inauguration. He was invited to pray. I was so anxious to see how he was going to pray because he represented it. Being that somewhat liberal side, he represented all these non-believers. I was so curious as to how Rick Warren is going to end his prayer. And it was a nationally televised inauguration. I was listening very carefully, and that's exactly how he prayed. 
I pray, we pray all this in the name of God who created heavens and earth. And for me personally, who changed my life with the conviction he emphasized. It's someone who changed my life, Jesus Christ. Amen. That's how we prayed. That's dwelling in him. Here's the point. We cannot do anything for God in our attempt to grow in grace. And how do we grow in grace? We dwell in him through hymns, songs, psalms, proverbs. When we, when you teach, and when you correct someone, do it by dwelling in God. And when you exercise wisdom, reflect on psalms, hymns, and the sweet song of the Holy Spirit. Do it. Growing grace by do it, by doing it with gratitude of a thankful heart. Do it all in the name of the Lord. Let his name be lifted and glorified.